one-hour Joe. That was the nickname that was given to me by my best friend's parents when I was in the third grade. Now, growing up, I had a, a couple best friends, but my, one of my main best friends was a kid named Scotty. Now, Scotty didn't live near me. Um, we lived in the same town, but he didn't leave, live near my house. But his grandparents had a house that was just around the corner. And so especially in the summer, he spent a lot of time at his grandparents' house. So I would frequently go over to his grandparents' house during the summer, and we would hang out. And that's some of the best memories I have as a kid, were hanging out with my friend Scotty. But what would often happen is I would get to his grandparents' house, and we'd start playing. And after about an hour or so, I would tell his family, oh, I, I have to go home now. And then I would leave, hence the nickname One Hour Joe. In fact, if I see uh, my, my friend's parents to this day, they'll still say, hey, One Hour Joe, that's my name still to them. Now, the reason that I left after an hour wasn't because I, I had to go home. In fact, my parents, they didn't mind if I stayed longer. In fact, they probably would prefer if I stayed away from the house for a while because I was an annoying kid. I'm kind of an annoying adult. So they wouldn't mind for me to stay there longer. But I had this feeling deep down after about an hour or so that, you know, I started to get kind of uncomfortable and nervous that I just needed to go home. Growing up, I battled a little bit this feeling of anxiety at various times. In fact, some of my earliest memories are memories of feeling anxious about something. Uh, I remember about four or five years old, this is one of the only times I remember this um, early on, but we went to a babysitter's house and I knew who the person was, but I didn't know him super well. And I, I got to the house and I was just the whole time miserable. I was so anxious. Every year before the first day of school, I had a hard time sleeping at night, and I, I would be up multiple times throughout the night because I, my, my mind was filled with anxiety about the next day. I was the kid growing up who I had, I had a lot of friends, and I would go to their house at birthday parties and things, but for sleepovers, I was usually the one who wouldn't stay for the sleepover. I would say, oh, I can't go, but the truth is I, I didn't want to because I was nervous. For years and years and years, I struggled with anxiety. Now, I'd like to say that I grew out of all my adolescent anxiety. I think for the most part, I did. But there are moments, even today in my life, where I feel like my emotions, my, my life, it's governed by anxious feelings. In fact, the truth is, for all of us, from one degree to another, things like worry, concern, fear, apprehension, anxiety, we're all impacted by that on some level. Now, for many of us, right, uh, we can work through it. It's not that big of a thing. For, for some of us, like, it's a very manageable anxiety. But for others of us, anxiety is a serious, serious problem in our life. It's a constant battle. Uh, for many people, anxiety has had such a serious impact, in fact, that maybe they've been diagnosed with struggling with anxiety, having an dis anxiety disorder of sorts. Uh, it's estimated that just about 20% of Americans experience an anxiety disorder uh, within the last year. It's happened within the last year. That's not a COVID number. That's just a, a normal year. And so statistically speaking, a large percentage of you, a fifth of you, have had some sort of anxiety disorder. In fact, it says that statistics say that over 30% of Americans experience an anxiety disorder in, in their life. For so many people, anxiety has a strong grip on them. It's a serious problem, and at times you, you need to get treatment for that. For some people, it's medical treatment, right? You might go and see a doctor and see if there's some sort of chemical thing that you can get help with, medication or something for it. Uh, for some of you, maybe you go to a counselor or a, 
Uh, you get psychiatric help for, for your anxiety. We don't think that there's anything wrong with that. Right here at this church, we want to treat the whole person. Sometimes you'll talk to a pastor and they'll say, oh, just give them Jesus and they'll be fine. Well, sometimes there are real issues you have to deal with, and that's okay. But see, I'm not a, a medical doctor. Uh, I'm not a psychiatrist. I can't answer those things. I'm a pastor, and we're a church. And so here this morning, in particular, we're going to look at this from a different perspective, not a medical perspective, not a psychiatric perspective, but from a biblical perspective. From a spiritual perspective, we want to look at this problem that so many of our, us are plagued with, this problem of anxiety. And specifically, the question I want to ask this morning is this. What does Jesus have to say about anxiety? What does Jesus have to say about this problem? Well, if we want to find out what Jesus says, we turn no further than the source of the words of Jesus, the pages of Scripture. So I want to encourage you, if you want to investigate this with me, Go ahead and open your, up your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6 this morning. Matthew chapter 6. Um, the book of Matthew is in the New Testament. It's the first book of the New, New Testament. So it's about three quarters of the way through your Bible. You open it up and flip over. You should hit Matthew. If you hit Mark, Luke, or John, go backward. The book of Malachi is right before it. Uh, if you're here this morning and you don't own a physical Bible, the Bible that's in front of you, you're welcome to use that, but you're also welcome to take it home. We'd love for you to have a Bible this morning. Um, go ahead and take that with you. But we're in Matthew chapter 6. Whatever you do, Matthew 6 is where we're going to be at. And as you're turning there, just a reminder that we're working our way through a sermon series this summer called The Summer on the Mount. And the reason we've called our series that is because this summer, we're spending time on the mountainside with Jesus. You see, Jesus in the book of Matthew chapters 5 through 7, he had his most famous section of of teaching known as the Sermon on the Mount that he gave. And we're going to spend the summer just covering section by section this amazing teaching from Jesus. And if you've been with us, you know uh, the, the, the Sermon on the Mount is all about the standards and expectations for followers of Jesus, right? For members of, of the kingdom of God, These are the standards. This is how we're supposed to live. This is very practical teaching from Jesus. And he's covered a number of different topics. But in particular, Jesus is now moving into a section where he's addressing this major issue, anxiety. And so if you're there in Matthew 6, let's go ahead and jump in, beginning with verse 25. Jesus says, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. What you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on, is life Or is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? You see, Jesus begins, and the first thing that Jesus does right out of the gate is he gives us something very clear. He gives us, number one, the instructions. The instructions. Very clearly, he says, do not be anxious. Right out of the beginning, he says, therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. Now, as we begin to unpack this, I want to just remind you of something. You know, every Sunday... If you come here, if this is your church, you know that we're a type of church where we just preach through the Bible, right? We preach through a text, and I don't just think of things to say every week. I would rather talk about what God says, because who cares what I think? Let's look at what God says. So we work our way through a passage, and we use, you know, tools to work through. I hope, though, that in your own personal life, this is not the only place where you get fed. Uh, The responsibility to be fed ultimately comes down to you. If you have a Bible at your disposal, you can feed yourself. And so one of the things that's helpful, a practical kind of reminder in Bible study, is anytime you're reading the Bible and you get to a point where it says, therefore, you should always ask what the therefore is there for. It's pretty simple, 
But what's the therefore therefore? So we hit therefore in the beginning. And what does the word therefore mean? Well, it means that something was said previously. It's built a foundation. And now something is being talked about in relation to what was just talked about. So in particular, Jesus is in a Sermon on the Mount, which means that in the previous section, he's talked about something and there's a connection. Now, if you're with us last week, you know that in the Sermon on the Mount, I was not here preaching last week. Nate came, did a great job, and he preached on the topic of money, right? And specifically, it's the section where Jesus said, you cannot serve two masters. You can't serve both God and money. And the point that Jesus is making there is that if your allegiance and loyalty and focus and devotion is toward money, that you can't also be devoted to God at the same time. Those are competing loyalties. So you have to pick one or the other. And so Jesus says, no, I want your heart. I want your devotion toward me, not toward money. And so Nate did a great job talking through that, that God wants our heart. He wants us to be centered on him. And so that's what was discussed previously. And now in light of that, Jesus is saying something else. He's saying, therefore, do not be anxious about your life. So it seems like money or the desire for money or devotion toward money And anxiety are being connected in this passage. So the question we need to ask is, how is this connected? How is this related? Well, Jesus makes it really clear for us as he continues. Notice what he says. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. You see right here, Jesus is making it pretty clear. The source of the anxiety is related to these various things that are basic essential needs. And so the disciples, the reason the verse before he talked about this issue with money, that so many people were focused on money is because, not necessarily because they were greedy, although that's that's the the truth, but that so many people in that society were focused on money because they needed money to survive. Specifically, Jesus says, right, don't worry, don't have it. The source of their anxiety was based on what they will eat and what they will drink and what they will put on. Having enough food, having water, having clothing. These were the primary concerns of the people that Jesus was speaking to. Now, it's funny because I've shared this before, but sometimes when we read the Bible, right, we look at it from our own Western, you know, uh, perspective, So we put on our own lenses and we interpret the world through our experience and our culture and our life. And so often, if you read the Bible thinking that Jesus was speaking directly to you, you tend to look at it from your own perspective. But actually, he's speaking for you, but he was not speaking to you. He was speaking to an audience in the first century. And when we read a passage like this, we often think about something like this, and it sounds very materialistic and trivial, right? Like people who are concerned about what they're going to eat, what they're going to drink, what they're going to wear. Like we sometimes wrestle with that, right? In my house, it's pretty common. We'll go, hey, what are, what are we going to eat tonight? And it's kind of like, well, let's, let's do burgers tonight. And then my wife's like, well, no, we had burgers a couple nights ago. I'm like, oh, yeah, it's, it's so stressful, right, to think about what we're going to have. That's our problem. We have so much, an abundance, that it's hard for us to pick what to eat or what to drink or what to wear because we have so much. And so we often read a passage like this from our contemporary mindset, but we miss the point of what's going on. We have first world problems when it comes to food, drink, and clothing. Because for the most part, all of you have a wardrobe full of clothes you can pick today. You just had to pick which one. You have food in your fridge and things to drink. That is not the culture. This is first century Jewish uh, literature. These people had hardly anything. They're living near the region of Galilee when Jesus is up on the mountainside. and And what it says in terms of the... History will will, will teach that the people were so poor that it's estimated that nine out of ten people living in and around the region of Galilee at that time were at or below the poverty line. 
Uh, many of them had hardworking jobs where they were farming to make a living and they were bringing the food to the local village to sell in the market. Many of them were fishermen. Well, we know that Peter and John were there by Galilee as fishermen. They worked hard to make a, a living, a meager salary. And then from the meager salary, they would often have to pay the temple tax. And then Rome would step in and go, oh, I'm going to really tax you highly and heavily. And then whatever you had left over, that's what you survived with. And many people struggled for basic things to survive. That was the source of their anxiety. They could barely make ends meet. This is not trivial. This is not materialistic. It's a legitimate source of worry in the lives of these people. And so for us, will we say then that we have no way to relate to these people? Well, maybe we couldn't relate in the exact same way, but that's not what Jesus is saying. He's talking about food and drink and clothing as examples. But the principle can apply to all of us. Jesus uses the word anxious here. And the word anxious, at least in a biblical perspective, it has meaning that applies to all of us. Anxiety, according to the Bible, the way it's used in scripture, is a nagging worry or fear about something uncertain in the future that's beyond our ability to control. That resonate with anyone this morning? Let me read that again. Anxiety is a nagging worry or fear about something uncertain in the future that's beyond our ability to control. This is something we all can relate to. For a first century Jew, right, the concern is primarily about enough food or enough clothing. But for us, anxiety can stem from all sorts of other places, right? For, may, for you, maybe right now, you've received a diagnosis, It's a health issue that's causing anxiety in your life. Maybe the truth is you've been told something and you don't know what's going to happen in the future. Things aren't looking good. Nothing you can do about it. And because of that, your your life, your heart, it's filled with anxiety. And that makes sense. Maybe for some of you, it's your job. Like things are so difficult at work and it's gotten so crazy. And, you know, with all the stuff that's going on with your management at at your job and and your position, you don't know really what's going to happen next. You don't know if you're going to have a job by this point next year. Things are looking really bleak. You, You can't control the situation. And that's filling your heart with anxiety. That makes sense. For some of you, maybe it's a relationship issue. Maybe it's your marriage. You're trying hard to keep things together, but it's just crumbling and getting worse and worse, and your relationship is falling apart, and you don't know how to fix it. You don't know how to solve it. It's bigger than you can deal with, and and you just don't know what to do, and you're anxious about it. The truth is, lots of things in life cause anxiety. But Jesus here, he commands us, do not be anxious. Now, why would Jesus command us not to be anxious? Why does this matter to Jesus? Why is this important for us? Well, to see that, we have to continue reading. So notice what Jesus does. After initially giving the instructions, the second thing he does is he gives the illustrations. Jesus is going to explain why we shouldn't be anxious about something. And the way that he does it, because he's an awesome preacher, is he uses two very simple illustrations Uh, And so we're going to see it right now in the text. Notice what he says. Number one, he talks about the birds. Notice what he says. Look at the birds of the air. He says, they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Now, I don't know how many of you are bird watchers out there, but if you know anything about birds, you know that birds are not lazy creatures, right? Birds are not lazy. Birds are very active. When birds go to gather food or build nests, they're very, very active. At our house, we have uh, on our front door, 
depending on the season, we have two different wreaths that we switch in and out. So we have our winter one, it's got like Christmas stuff on it, and then we have like our spring one. I'm not really in charge of the wreath thing, right? It's not my department. My wife takes care of that and makes the house look you know, pretty. But every year when we put on the spring wreath, the same stinking problem happens. There's a bird, I don't know if it's the same bird or not. If, it's, if it is the same bird, it's super old, or it's got cousins that tells about this, I don't know. But either way, the bird, this bird comes every year, and immediately when we put the spring wreath up, it starts building a nest in the spring wreath. And I'm like not a big fan of like, Critters and creatures, you know, when I was a kid, I watched the movie, The Birds, you ever see that? Hitchcock, kind of freaked me out. So I'm not a big bird fan, so I usually like, get a stick, and every year, hopefully before there's eggs in there, I knock the nest, out, or the, the nest out of there, and I try to make sure the bird goes away. And as soon as I knock the nest out, in like a day or two, what happens? There's like another nest, because this bird is crazy, and it's super active. And so birds are not passive creatures, they're active. And so Jesus is clearly not saying that in in light of anxiety, what we're anxious about, we should be passive. That's not what he's saying. He doesn't use that illustration. He's not saying that we have something that's causing anxiety, that we should neglect it or ignore it, or it doesn't matter at all. That's not the point. So for example, in your life, if you're struggling over, you're anxious over the fact that you don't, don't know if you can put enough food on the table, Jesus isn't saying, well, stop working. I'll take care of it. Don't even need to work. No. That's dumb. Like work, work hard, provide for your family. That's not the point. Jesus isn't advocating for laziness. What he's saying is God sovereignly provides for the birds. They have to work to get it, but he makes sure that they're fed. Uh, Martin Luther famously said of this passage, you know, God provides for the sparrows by giving them food to eat, but he doesn't put it into their beaks. You know, he makes them go out and get it. And that's true. No, Jesus is saying here that God is the one who's providing for them. And the point here is that a sparrow, in, in relation to us, it's a pretty insignificant thing. So how much more will God care for us? This is the point. How much more valuable are people who've been made in the image of God than birds? And so if Jesus cares for them, man, he'll care for us. This is the point. Jesus is not eliminating the need for work. He's eliminating the need for worry. Which is why he says in verse 27 this, and which of you by being anxious can add a single hour to a span of life? The point is this, worry, anxiety, it's not a productive endeavor. It's not productive, it doesn't produce anything, but God does. God is productive, he will provide, he's willing to provide for the birds And comparative to us, they're not very valuable, so how much more will he provide for us? This is the first illustration. Jesus then continues and gives us another illustration, very similar, but notice what he says as he continues. He says, and why are you anxious about clothing? So now he's talking about the topic of clothing. He says, consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. He says, but if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? The point here is the same. If God feeds the bird, which is not very valuable, and if God is willing to clothe the flowers of the field, which grow up in a short period of time, and then they die and they dry out and they're used for kindling, if God cares for the things like that, how much more will he care for us? If God cares about the little things, how much more will he care about the big things, us? This is what Jesus is reminding us this morning. And I want to let you know this morning, if you're somebody who's kind of like, you know, forgotten, forgotten what God thinks of you, I want to remind you because Jesus is making this very clear. God 
loves you. God cares for you. Maybe right now you're in a season where you look at the world around you and you think that nobody really cares. Nobody sees you. Nobody really cares about you. I want you to know that that's a lie because there is a God in heaven who always sees you. He knows you. He loves you so much that he sent his son to die for you. We have a God who is for you, not against you. God cares. When nobody else does, God cares. And the reason that we shouldn't be anxious is because it doesn't help anything. But God who sees your situation, God who knows your situation, God is promising to care for you. God does know what's going on. He's sovereign over your life. He's in control. Even when your future is uncertain, nothing's uncertain to God. He is the one who provides. And so the question really that we need to ask ourselves as we examine this passage this morning is is this. Do we really actually trust God for our struggles and challenges in life? Like, do we actually believe that there is a God out there who will provide for our needs? Do we believe it or not? This is the the, the topic we're looking at. Because practically speaking, anxiety is a demonstration that we don't really believe that God is in control or that God can take care of a situation. I mean, if you think about it, worry is really practical atheism. It's practical atheism. Uh, This is why Jesus ends by saying, oh, you of little faith. The point here is, is... is if there's no God, if God doesn't exist, if God isn't sovereign, if God isn't in control, then the truth is, yeah, we've got something to worry about. But if there is a God, and if this God is sovereign, if this God is in control, and if this is a God who feeds the birds and clothes the flowers, and if this is a God who loves us and sent his son to die for us, if we have a God who's willing to take care of the biggest need we have, which is the problem of sin, how much more can we trust him for the other problems we have in life? This is the point. Do we really actually trust God? This is the heartbeat to what Jesus is trying to get at. This is why anxiety is such a big deal to Jesus. Anxiety is practical atheism. So don't worry about food, drink, clothing. Don't worry about the job situation. Don't worry about the relationship situation. Don't allow that to fill you with anxiety. Trust God for the things that you can't handle. We may not be able to handle it. Let me know. Let me, let me tell you, God can handle it. He can be trusted. This is why Jesus goes on to say, he says, for the Gentiles seek after all these things. Now, the word Gentile that's used here, um, it's specifically referring to unbelievers. Remember, Jesus is talking to a Jewish audience. At this point, a Gentile is a person who's outside of the covenant relationship with Israel. These are people who don't worship the one true God. And so practically, they're unbelievers. And he says, yeah, unbelievers, they focus on all these worries of the world. And that makes sense, right? Because if you don't believe God exists, then the the burden of responsibility for all your problems, it rests squarely on your shoulders. You have reason to worry if there is no God. He says, the Gentiles worry about these things. He says, but you shouldn't worry about these things because you're believers. And he says this, and your heavenly father knows that you need them all. God knows your need. He knows what you require and God will provide it. You see, God knows everything. In fact, earlier in the Sermon on the Mount, when Jesus talked about prayer, he said, your father knows what you need before you even ask him. This is the God who we worship. He is the provider. And the question really is this, do we trust him? Do we actually trust God for whatever our struggles are? 
This is really the question this morning. Do we trust him? Do we believe that he'll take care of our greatest needs? Do we believe that he will provide? Because he says that he can. And he says that he will. Do we believe him? That leads to our final section. Now that we've seen, number one, the instructions, and number two, we've seen the illustrations about the birds and the flowers. The third thing that Jesus wants to talk about, number three, is the investment. The investment. Notice what he says as he continues, verse 33. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Now, what does Jesus mean here? What does it mean to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness? Well, essentially, it means that Jesus has given us something else to focus our time and attention and concern on. Something other than the present struggles we face in life. As disciples of Jesus, he's called for us to have a heavenly mindset, a kingdom focus. Instead of dwelling on your earthly struggles or challenges or needs, instead of being bogged down by the cares of the world, Jesus wants our focus to be fixed heavenward. He wants us to know that we have a greater priority than the struggles of earth. As we navigate through life, he's calling for us to care about the things that are most important. Jesus wants us to focus on this idea of loving him and loving others. Right? That's the greatest commandment. He wants us to focus on the great commission. We should be sharing the gospel with our friends and neighbors. We should be raising up our kids in the faith and discipling them. This should be our focus. Essentially, Jesus says, stop focusing on the stuff you need and start focusing on what I've called you to be. I've called you to be salt and light in the world to make an impact for the kingdom. I've called you to invest your life into the heavenly matters that actually matter beyond this world into eternity. And Jesus says that when you do that, not only will you make a heavenly impact, Not only will it be a kingdom investment, but all the things that you normally would worry about on earth, I'll take care of those things too. I'll provide. I'll take care of those things as well. He says, all these things will be added unto you. We have a God who provides, who cares for his people, which is why Jesus ends by saying this, therefore do not be anxious about tomorrow. For tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Tomorrow has enough to worry about. Just leave that for tomorrow. Sufficient is the day for its own trouble. Don't worry about tomorrow. There's no point in that. There's no point in being anxious about an uncertain future that's beyond your control. Why would you do that? That amounts to nothing. No, instead, he calls you to trust him for whatever you're facing. Now, I realize this morning this is easier said than done, right? You're probably like, Pastor Joe, we get it. We hear what Jesus is saying. I hear what you're saying. I understand what you're trying to say here, but you don't know my life. You don't know the challenges that I face on a daily basis. You don't know the struggles or or hardships that I'm going through. You don't know. Maybe for you, you're on the brink of losing your home or losing your job or maybe even losing your life. I don't know. Maybe your problems are really, really big. And you're saying, Pastor Joe, I get it. I hear what you're saying. I really do. But you just don't understand. You don't know my story. You don't know what I'm dealing with. The stuff I'm dealing with is just too big. This is stuff that keeps me up at night. It bogs me down. It has a hold on me. I can't let it go. I can't escape it. I can't forget about it. This is the kind of life I have. I am just being controlled by my anxiety. And listen, if that's you this morning, I can only in part, relate to that just a little bit. Because it's been a struggle in my life, and sometimes it's, it's worse than others. 
But at the end of the day, those burdens that you're carrying, the stuff that's keeping you up at night, that is not your burden to carry. Scripture says, cast your anxieties on him for he cares for you. You can release the burden that you're carrying to him. One hour Joe has got to go. That does not need to be your life. It doesn't need to be dictated by anxiety. The stuff you can't control, let God deal with it. You see, at the end of the day, the real problem we have, it isn't the size of our problems, it's the size of our faith. Do we trust God for whatever we're struggling with or not? That's the question, right? The big idea this morning, very, very simple. Trust God with what you can't control. Trust him with whatever you can't control. It's interesting, just recently, well, by recently, a couple years ago, I guess, I had to get my two wisdom teeth pulled. It's kind of a long story, but basically I had all my wisdom teeth because I had other teeth pulled uh, earlier on, and I thought I would keep my wisdom teeth for life. And I went to the dentist, they said, hey, your wisdom teeth look pretty good, but one came in just a little bit at an angle, and because of the way it's angled, it's going to start to cause decay, and it's going to cause problems down the road. So the best thing for you to do is to pull your wisdom tooth. It was on the bottom. And they said, if you pull that one wisdom tooth, then the one on the top is going to start to drop and you're going to have to eventually pull that too. So you have to get two wisdom teeth pulled. And I'm like, great. Okay, fine. So I get the consultation and basically they ask me before I go in, uh, do you want to go under or not? Like, do you want to be conscious through all this, op- you know, this thing, this operation, this an oral surgeon, or do you want to be knocked out? And I'm like, knock me out. Like, you know, I'm just, I'm kind of squeamish, right? Birds, not a fan of birds. Teeth pulled, blood, not a fan of that either. So like, knock me out. But I've never met this oral surgeon, never even been in his office yet, but I said that in advance. Hey, knock me out. So what happens is I go in, uh, I meet this guy for the first time. I say, hey, he's nice enough, but like, I mean, I talked to him for 10 seconds, and then basically he puts me under, and I'm knocked out, and I'm loopy. Like, I'm, I don't remember much. Ellie took a picture of me in the car because I was just like slumped over with like, you know, gauze and blood dripping out. Anyway, so, uh, but I didn't know this guy. Right? But I had a problem I, I couldn't solve on my own. It was wisdom teeth. I couldn't take those out. I couldn't control that. I couldn't fix that problem. And so what I did is I went to this guy who I didn't even know, and I said, yep, go ahead and knock me out. I'll be completely unconscious, and I'm just going to have you do it because I trusted that he is an oral surgeon. He can take care of that. I didn't know the guy. And I think about that, and I think about our life and how many situations we encounter where we just have people we don't even know, and yet we entrust them with something really big in our life. We have a God who we know, who knows us, who loves us, who sees us, who's walked through the difficult moments in life from the very time we first encountered him. From the moment we trusted in Jesus Christ, God has been with us. He says, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. He calls us his friend. And yet the truth is when it comes to the big things in our life, even though we know God, we're so hesitant to release that to him. And yet I'll go to an oral surgeon and say, knock me out, doc. Like, what is wrong with us? We have a God who we know who we can trust. Why would we not just release our challenges to him? I realize it's hard. I realize it's difficult. I realize the stuff you're facing is big, but listen, God is bigger. God is bigger. So trust him with what, he, with what you can't control. Give him your burden or challenge or whatever. Let him worry about it. I mean, the truth is God doesn't worry about anything, so just let him have it. Trust him with whatever you're facing. Because no matter what it is, we have a God who loves you, 
who knows you and who says, I will care for you. I will provide for you. So don't be anxious about anything. So at the end of the day, the question I want to ask is, do we really trust him? Do we really trust him? Because he is a God who can be trusted. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for the fact that there are things in our life that we know that we can't handle. And sometimes that's really hard for us to navigate through seasons in life that are beyond our control. We don't know the future, but Lord, we know that when there's something that we can't handle, you can handle it because you are God. You are good. You are sovereign. You are all powerful. You know us. You love us. And you promise to be with us and to care for us. And Lord, I know that this morning, you know, it's easy to construe, misconstrue this message and to say that if we just trust you enough that we're never going to get sick and never going to get hurt and nothing bad's ever going to happen. And Lord, that's not true. That's not what you're saying here. Lord, there are times where we get sick. There are times where we die. But do we trust you that you are the God who knows the beginning from the end, the God who's working everything together for good for those who love you, who've been called according to your purpose? Because, Lord, we know that you are the sovereign one who has a plan from the very beginning of history to the end. You have written the story, so will we trust you or not? That's really the question we're faced with. As we focus on your kingdom and your righteousness, Lord, you promise to provide for what we need as long as we're here on earth, so let's trust you with that. Lord, for the person in the room who's just gripped by anxiety each and every day who can't escape it, Lord, I pray that through the power of the Spirit, you would take your word, you would take your truth, and you would implant it deeply within their hearts that, Lord, they'd be transformed and changed, not by my words, but by your Spirit. By the words of Scripture. I pray that you begin to release those burdens, strongholds, and struggles in their life. And help them to live in such a way that honors you, that focuses on you, and allows you to deal with the big challenges we face. So Lord, just help us this morning with that. We thank you. We praise you. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray all these things. Amen.